Well, hello and welcome to worship this morning. My name is Lauren and I serve as one of your pastors here. I'm so thankful that each and every one of you have joined us down here and upstairs in the cafe. I'm so thankful to be here this morning. This morning we are continuing on again in our series called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. And I want to thank uh, our scripture reader, Steve. Steve, uh, you did great this morning. Uh, I'm just kidding. That's my dad. Uh, (laughs) Dad, you did great. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I am a former pastor's kid. Uh, So when I asked my dad if he wanted to read scripture with me today, I thought it was both adorable uh, and got a little nervous. Uh, Some of the staff began taking bets uh, to see if the Holy Spirit would instruct him to teach right now. Uh, Preachers got to preach. I I know how it is. Uh, But instead, we decided to just give him the longest scripture reading that we could find. Uh, You did really great, Pa. It's great to serve alongside you. Uh, If you want to follow along in our scripture today, you can find Luke 12, 1 through 12, uh, on page 1618 of the Blue Bibles provided. I want to look back on last week uh, to assist in our growth with this week, our preparation for what this scripture has in store for us. Last week, uh, we heard the story of the transfiguration, and I thought it couldn't get any weirder than that, and then we have this. Uh, Jesus on the mountaintop with his disciples. They saw him for who he truly is and was the Savior. And they found inspiration on that mountaintop for the journey that was to come. The beginning of that journey being the journey down the mountain towards Jerusalem, heading to the crucifixion. And we looked at this idea of mountaintops. That mountaintops can be places of inspiration and of comfort and rest for us with the Lord. But often we want to stay there. We don't want to travel down the mountain. We want to stay in that goodness. But we are called to so much more. And we acknowledged that last week. We are called to take up our cross, to listen to Jesus, and to journey down the mountain with him together. And then today, we come to this. We come to this piece of scripture in Luke. And when I heard that this is the scripture that I was preaching on, my thought was, well, Here we go. We see the side of Jesus that we have yet to really ever interact with. Now, real quickly, I want to bring attention to the elephant in the room. Verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What? not be forgiven. You mean there is something that I cannot do, that we cannot do where we don't receive forgiveness? Now, some of you are probably crossing your fingers that over the next 30 minutes, we spend all of our time on verse 10. Some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, I hope she does not talk about this at all. And others might frantically be Googling the word blasphemy so you figure out what it means so you don't accidentally get to it and do it. And I am confident when I say that verse 10, that this scripture is important and it deserves our time. We have a writer, uh, Ben, who's been doing our first 15 for this series. Uh, He did a wonderful first 15 on Thursday about this verse exactly. So I want to encourage you to go to dailyfirst15.org to dive deeper into this verse. I do think that if we spend our message on this piece of scripture today, it will distract us from the message that Jesus is actually calling us towards. 
And I am glad that today that we are not going to spend time on this scripture because the most compelling message out of the scripture that I have seen is not blasphemy, but is the promise that Jesus makes immediately following that. So today, I want to talk about tornadoes. Where's homegirl going with this? Hold on, hold on, just wait. It's about that time, literally the first day of spring in Texas, and it was like, hey, wind, we're here. I'm here to mess all your hair up. I'm here to mess everything up. Like, this is wind. It's spring. I'm here. Wind is like, ladies, you want a good hair day? Wind. Oh, you thought you could just, like, gently open your car? Wind. Oh, this piece of paper is important? Chase it down the parking lot. (laughs) We've all been there. If you don't sense my attitude towards this thing called wind, It's my least favorite. I do not like it. And tornadoes uh, are like my number one fear. And why, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think I've ever actually seen a tornado besides in a Facebook video. Uh, I don't even know that I've ever actually heard tornado sirens. Uh, I blame the movie Twister. A lot of you have probably seen that here. But I'm always very up-to-date on the weather. It's kind of weird. I'm always looking out for a tornado. I don't know why, but the number one app used on my phone is my weather app. Uh, the second that I see wind or tornado on a TV, this fear takes over my body. And I tend to call it a paralyzing fear, uh, but really, it does anything but paralyze me. The second that I hear that a tornado is coming, everybody hide. I began, like, running around the house grabbing water like a mad woman, like, get the water, get the bread, get the dogs, everybody in the bathtub, in the bathtub, everybody. It's bad. And if I'm with my parents, they, they're either outside watching the storm, like, Lauren, come see how cool this is. I'm like, we're going to die. They're crazy. Or they're looking me dead in the eye like, Lauren, calm down. You are fine. You have to calm down. They'll acknowledge that it's serious because I know deep down a little bit them is like, I'm a little terrified too. They say, you are fine. This is serious, but you have to remain calm. You have to listen to me. You have to trust me. This scripture that we read begins where there's a crowd of thousands of people trampling each other to get to Jesus. I want to say that again. A thousand people trampling each other to get to Jesus. They know the end is coming. Jesus' death is imminent. This is not a secret. People are in danger. Persecutions are happening. Fear is a real thing. And Jesus pulls the coach move, and he grabs his disciples from the thousands. He huddles them in. Imagine that. Thousands of people trampling each other, and Jesus finds his disciples and gathers them in. Just gather around, gather around, whether his arms are around them in a huddle, whether he has his hands on their shoulders or he's squishing their, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, or he's squishing their cheeks. He's like, listen to me. Listen to this message that I have to share. He brings them in and he begins to instruct about the Pharisees. He says, listen to me. You will be okay, but you have to listen to me. There is evil in this world that will be made known. There is oppression that will feel freedom. But for this to be, you must listen to me. You must do as I say. Throughout this series, each passage of scripture began, uh, we spent time looking at Jesus, looking at a new way that he is being revealed to us. 
And this scripture reveals to us a side of Jesus that we might not be used to. The scripture shows a firmness about Jesus, a fire, a passion. And this scripture may make some of us actually fear Jesus. Through these powerful words that he is using, some of us may feel him as angry, as hateful. And today I want to invite you to put on a new lens. Jesus is not trying to instill a frightful fear in his disciples of what is to come. But Jesus is fighting. He is fighting for this message that God sent him to earth to share and to die for. He is fighting for that message of God's love. Jesus says, don't fear him who can kill you. Fear him who has the power after your death. And again, not meant to be angry or harmful, but almost hyperbolic. Almost like, are you kidding me? This is who you fear? You fear this man. These men have nothing on God. But do not fear God because of what he can do to you. But instead, fear him in a sense of awe, in a sense of how mighty God is. Fear God because he knows the amount of hair on your head. Fear God because he cares for you more than sparrows. He cares for us more than those annoying birds that sit on top of McDonald's that are always there in the millions. Fear God because he is just and loving and gracious and all-powerful. Fear God because in the time of darkness, he will come to shine light. Jesus says, listen to me and do as I say. There's great danger surrounding the disciples this time, surrounding the followers of Jesus this time, surrounding Jesus at this time. Crowds are literally trampling each other to find comfort and hope and healing in him. People are being persecuted and Jesus' death is upon them. Some of us here may be currently living in this exact type of fear. Our fear might mirror this of the disciples. Others of us may not exactly feel this fear, but we are aware of the sense of danger and brokenness in our world. Jesus comes and he says, listen to me and do as I say. Do not fear man, but receive the love of God. This love that is so big that it might leave some of us fearful, but in a sense of awe and wonder of how big God is. Jesus is fighting for his message of love. He tells his disciples, as we talked about last week, to take up their cross. This week, to avoid hypocrisy, because there is something at stake here. There's something at stake. The disciples' lives mattered, because there was something at stake. And our lives matter, because there is something at stake. I want to say that again. Our lives, your life matters because there is something at stake here. The life of the disciples mattered because the death and the resurrection of Jesus, their lives were the future of our church, the future of faith, the future of our hope. And our lives matter because we are the future of this hope, of this church. Jesus continues on in verses 8 through 9, talking about denying the Lord. 
about disowning the message of God. And if the disciples were to have denied, who knows where we would be today. And if we deny, we get in the way of the better for God's people. Our lives matter because there is something at stake here. 11 and 12 continue on to say, Do not worry how you will defend yourself, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Spoiler alert, in Luke 24, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit after his death and resurrection. This statement is meant to bring us encouragement. And really, this whole passage is meant to bring us encouragement. Though there are several warnings, there's some heavy words, there are also several moments of encouragement. There will be light in the darkness. God knows the number of hairs on your head. You are worth more than many sparrows. And the Holy Spirit will come alongside you to teach you. Now, I really wanted to get up here and say, well, my dad just read that the Holy Spirit would come to teach us in times that we need to speak, that we need to teach, so I didn't write anything. Let's see what happens here. But if you know me, and if you've heard me with a microphone without planning what I'm going to say, I say, (laughs) I say, super awkward. Unfortunately, sometimes inappropriate, but always comical things. And I figured that would probably be a bad idea here. Uh, But I began to wonder, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to teach us what to say? Does it mean that we'll speak in tongues? Maybe. Does it mean that we don't have to plan and we will just speak? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not here to limit God and the power that he has. I do know, though, that there is a story in Exodus where we hear a very similar example of this between Moses and his brother Aaron. God is commanding Moses to go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about setting his people free to go talk to Pharaoh. Moses responds in in worry, saying, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And God responds with something along the lines of, take your brother, take Aaron. I will tell you what to say. You will tell him what to say, and he will speak for you. Aaron will speak for you. Aaron will come alongside you. Aaron will will be there when you don't have the words, and he will join in the fight with you. The truth is that God provides God provides us with mountaintops for rest and rejuvenation. God calls us down the mountain into the world and provides us with the Holy Spirit to walk alongside us just as Jesus had promised. And today, we are called to own that truth. We are called to take that truth and claim it as our own, that there is a love of God out in this world waiting for us, waiting for us to claim it and grasp it and live it out, waiting for us to fully live into that calling. We are called to claim this truth, and we are called to share that and live as if our lives matter because there is something at stake here. But the thing is that living living life as if, as if there's something at stake here, doesn't mean you have to sell all your possessions and tithe all your finances, although we will not say no to you if that is what you choose. 
Doesn't mean you have to move to another country. Maybe, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But I think what concerns Jesus is not whether you do it or you don't, but whether you are willing to do it. It is not whether God is calling you, but what you will do when God calls you. What I do know is that I'm not likely to take a giant leap of faith if I'm not committed to doing the smaller, less dramatic faith steps daily. Little sacrifices, little inconveniences, little acts of kindness and faith. Because the truth is that small acts of kindness are anything but small. I have a super cheesy story for you, but a real story. Uh, so one time, my dad over there, we're just spotlighting him today. Uh, he was with his friends in their hometown. And they were so excited to show him around, to take him to their favorite restaurants, uh, favorite scenes. And so they're walking down the street, and all of a sudden they realize that they've lost my dad. Which, if you know my dad, you should not be surprised that this has happened. This is not out of the ordinary of my dad. It takes about 20 minutes to leave any location that we are at because he is quite the talker. As I said, preachers got to preach. So they turned around, and they see my dad helping this elderly woman cross the street. As I said, cheesy, dad. But powerful. And that, that's my dad for you. Of course, of course he would be helping someone cross the street. And his friend should have known that they would lose him in an area like this. And they asked, how do you do that? How do you always live like that? How do you even see these needs and meet them? My dad told them, and then he told me that there's a pray that he would pray. There's a prayer that he would pray every day. God, make me available to how you will use me today. Make me available to how you will use me today. God, make me available to how you will use me today. Make me teachable by the Holy Spirit and teach me. God, make me available. Make me teachable and help me respond to those teachings. The bottom line is that our lives matter. The things that we do matter. The words that we say matter. And when we deny that, when we deny this love of God, we get in the way of the better life that God is calling us to. And as we said last week, faith promises a better life. Not an easier life, but a better life. Our lives matter because something is at stake here. And we are called to live and do everything as such. This is not meant to scare us and make us run around with our hands in the air like a tornado is coming and shove everyone into our bathroom and live there for the rest of our lives. This is meant to warn us that we live in a hurting and broken world. But it is also meant to encourage us that the final say lies in a God who is so mighty that he knows every hair on our head. This passage is meant to encourage us that we have a purpose. We have a journey down the mountain, and it is important that we step out into that journey and say yes. If you ever think, what am I doing? Why can't I get this right? What is wrong with me? 
Why do I feel like I'm walking in circles? I wish I could be a better me, a different me. I will tell you, you're not alone in that thought. We all feel that about ourselves. But also, I'll tell you that God says, Jesus says that we are worth more than many sparrows. In our lives, your life is so important. And we are called to live as such. When I first read this scripture and heard that I was giving a message on it, I was scared and confused. Not because this side of Jesus scares me, because I totally believe in a Jesus that would flip a table if he had to. But I was scared that I wouldn't have the words to say. I was scared I wouldn't know what to say about some of this. But then verse 12 says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And here's what I have to say. That you are worth more than many sparrows. That your life is important. And we should live as such because there is something at stake here. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that that you know us, that you claim us, that you love us, and that you forgive us, God. We gather here today, and we acknowledge that you, you are mighty. You are bigger than anything that we could ever imagine, God. And for some of us, that gets us in a sense of awe. God, for some, that terrifies us. But we come here today to claim this truth, to join in the fight of your son, God. To acknowledge that our lives matter because there is something at stake here and we are to live as such. God, we thank you for revealing Jesus to us in many different ways. God, for the compassionate side, for the loving side, for the firm side that teaches us how to live a better life, God, for the sake of your name. So I ask that as we are taken from this place, we go safely and encouraged by your word, God, reminded that we are loved and that we matter, but also that we are never alone, that you will send your Holy Spirit to guide us to walk alongside us, and to teach us, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.